We have a friend named Eddie. I told him to listen to the podcast. And then I was like, listen to this specific episode, which was the last episode where we talk about Nope. And he was like, oh, no, no spoilers. I need to watch Nope, and then I'll listen to this. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I guess you could listen to Nugget. We're not too embarrassing there. And then little do I know, the next day, I'm like, so what would you think of the podcast? And he's like, great. I listened to, like, Nugget and Vampire, and he was going to go back and finish listening to Impressionist Painting. And I was like, fucking score. We got one fan. So when you hear this, thanks, AD. Thank you. We're trying to make TikToks now. Talk ticks? The tickety talkities? Why do you say it like a millennial? I am a I just immediately, every Gen Z is swiped up. I am. They're already on to the next video. They're already watching some tribute video. I don't know. What do young people watch on TikTok? I sound like the millennial? Yes. With the tickety talkities? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do these young kids listen to these days? I don't know. I assume TikToks. On top of how horrifying it was before to know that everyone would listen to our voices, now it's even more horrifying because people get to see our faces from time to time. You can only see half of mine because I have terrible lighting, so my forehead's missing. (laughs) Well, I chose to come as Voldemort, so. I look prettier in real life, I promise. I'm super hot. There's no way to confirm that. For the viewers, you can. For the listeners, you can't. I look exactly the same in real life. Like a stoner. That's pretty much my whole vibe. That was your break. Why? (laughs) So cringe. Because we have to give them something. What is our inner life like? I drink two bottles of wine in two nights because my family drives me insane. That's what my break was like. How was yours? I had a puzzle drive me insane. Did you finish the puzzle? puzzle? No, I finished the bottom wolf and then I told my mom she could finish the top wolf. Oh yeah, I was there. I assumed that when we left, you just immediately (laughs) finished it. Yeah, that's what happened. That's why I showed up 15 minutes later. (laughs) Luke, how was your break? So, I was at an airport for a day and a half, and somehow that wasn't the worst part of the break. (laughs) (laughs) What was the worst part of your break? No answer. No comment. No oh, comment. That's a. I should have said that. I do have to say I had a good time getting back with my family. I only got to see them for a couple days, but good fun. Haven't seen them in a while. Yeah. And you got your brothers to listen, apparently, because our yeah. 62% male audience must be due to that. For the past week. For the past week. We figured that out. I got a new mop. <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated. <Just> segue. <laughs> I just, like, it makes me feel like such a domesticated woman, you know, to have this self-ringing mop situation where I was I'm like, I used the mop. She bought it. <laughs> I used it. Whatever. You're my wife, woman. I guess. You love it. I do. Yeah. Hi, I'm Amanda because I can't be Janine today. No, you cannot be Janine today. Well, I wanted to be fucking Janine, so I guess I'm Amanda. You are Amanda. Ugh. And if you're Amanda, I have to be Divya. That's just how the world works. Mm. And that's Luke. Hi, I'm Luke. Louis. Louis Wankam. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for being here. This podcast is called How Did We Get Here? 
start here? No, how do we get here? Divya, Divya's got it. She's got a good memory. She's a smart one over there. Oh. Did you get high before this podcast episode? What no, is going on? I live my life high. You live your life high. It's this tea. It's the throat it's coat the, tea. It's the witch's brew. What's the podcast about? Yes, Amanda? yes. We're, We're like doing, that. have you ever seen Actors on Actors? No. <laughs> Oh, it's like an interview series where, like, actors interview actors. We're like that, but we're, like, podcast hosts on podcast hosts. What's our <laughs> podcast about, Amanda? Okay, okay, all right, I got this. I we're only going to do it as an interview series today. <laughs> I've decided. That's awful. No, we're going to do it. Okay. Amanda, I'm tell me about like, your podcast. It's called How Did We Get Here? And basically, it's super fucking unhinged. Every week. Our lovely, lovely editor, Luke, gives us a topic. Luke's so tired. <laughs> Luke is done with me. Um, and we never actually talk about the topic. We talk to a bunch of things that lead up to the topic. Cool. And then it's up to you, the audience member, to wonder, how did we get from there to here? I mean, That's I, the think, name. I think we can. This week's topic is Rainbow. We're going to need to start off with a definition so we know <laughs> where we're going. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Rainbow. An arc or circle that exhibits in a concentric bands of color of the spectrum. <laughs> I don't know how to... This is so many words. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading it first. I'll be back. Webster's Dictionary defines rainbow as an arc or circle that exhibits in concentric bands the colors of the spectrum and that is formed opposite the sun by reflection and reflection of the sun's rays and raindrops, spray, or mists. So my theme for this story is rainbows. It's rainbows? The theme of your story is rainbows? It's the rainbows. You mean in line with what the it podcast is set up to be about? <laughs> it doesn't necessarily start at rainbows. It actually kind of ends. My sources for today are my own brain mm. um, from when we went to the La Brea Tar Pit Museum. Um, I didn't actually write them down, so I'm kind of like remembering these off the top of my head. I read a bunch of shit from National Geographic, an article from Times Magazine, something, something, something from PBS, mm-hmm. and then a study that I actually have cited in here, so... Oh, it's yeah. cited in there, so everyone else knows. What? It's cited in your laptop, so now everyone else knows. It's cited in my notes, so I'm gonna like say it. Oh, <laughs> I thought I thought you were like, yeah, it's in there. It's, <laughs> Believe it's, me, it's in the laptop. <laughs> I know, like everyone's gonna figure it out. Yeah, the yeah. viewers. <laughs> you got it. The viewers. The viewers. The seers. The seers. The listeners. A few months ago, when Luke's lovely, lovely dad was out here. We went to the La Brea Tar Pit Museum, and it was freaking awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. And the best part was, I found a stick with some tar on it, so we got to take some La Brea Tar home. Yeah, it was really sticky. Well, I'm glad I got the experience. actually take the stick home. What we did was held the stick a bunch so that we got the tar on our skin, and then we took that home. That's yeah. what I meant. Yep. <laughs> because fun fact, it's really hard to get tar off of yourself. We've quickly found that out as we stressfully scrubbed our hands in the woman's bathroom after. <laughs> uh, more importantly, we found out it's not tar. It's asphalt. Yeah. Naturally occurring asphalt, which I did not know was a thing. Very, she was very surprised. Yes. 
for the for the viewers, her eyes are all big and wide, like a cartoon character. Bug eyed. It's naturally occurring asphalt. That's what she was like. <laughs> Imagine like the Bugs Bunny. Yeah, actually, when I was a little girl, my mom sat me down one time to be like, it's super cute when you're surprised, but, like, at the same time, you should try to tone it down a little bit because you look like your eyeballs are going to burst out of your skull. And I was like, Mom, I'm five. Yikes. Highlights. Mm. Giant ground sloths. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of dire wolf skulls. It was, like, a very weird experience. Dire wolf skulls. Dire wolf. What did I say? No, you said that. I just took me a moment to process what you said. Oh, okay, okay. More like, dyed wolf skulls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The pulling tar thing. There was, like, an exhibit that was set up where you could grab sticks and pull them out of tar to Mm -hmm. see, like, what it was like. An example of, like, surface area and stuff. It was, like, to imitate, like, if you were an animal and you got yourself stuck in tar, how hard would it be to pull yourself out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I I got the the thick one all the way up to the top. I was very proud of myself. Like a fucking child. Um, I don't think a child could do that. No, but I was proud of myself like a child. No, you're proud of yourself like an adult. Oh. An adult who goes to the gym, who gets those gains. Thank you. Tell us more. <laughs> I got my niece a squishable. That was a wolf, but we're calling it a dire wolf. Mm-hmm. And my niece loves it. Little little loose, which is what my brother now calls her. Super cute. Um, they named her Nymeria. Nymeria? Yeah. That sounds vaguely Game of Thronesy. It is. Okay. It is. It's the Arya's dire well, wolf. She's alive by the end, right? Like her dire wolf comes back. I think so. I don't know. I've never. I don't even know who this Aurea is. Aura? A downer. Aria. Aura? Like a rainbow aura? <laughs> Alright, he's putting us back on track. Um. So, a lot of you out there may have no idea what tar pits are, and that is very fair because I think they only exist here. No. Where else do they exist? Wherever now. Asphalt naturally occurs. I'm pretty sure that's not only in California, though. Well, but I think the specific tar pits only exist here. I mean, I think the idea can exist, but the to the scale yeah. of it, just because of the exact um, te- plate tectonic location, mm-hmm. allows for a lot of the, the important part is like that the asphalt seeps up. Yeah, and like there's creates... asphalt mining in other places, but it was super easy here because it literally just comes to the surface for you. Okay, okay. I believe you. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. They can't exist in other places, I'm sure. I just haven't heard of them. Facts. I barely knew they were a thing. Or they existed and people just tore through them to get the asphalt and got rid of all the bones, so there's no... Oh my god, don't say that. That makes my heart hurt so much. All the lost knowledge. No. Ugh. Um, yeah, but as Luke already alluded to, they happen because basically earthquakes cause like micro cracks in the earth and allow for pressure release basically, where like gases and naturally occurring asphalt that's been buried down and has been created by the fact that it's buried under lots and lots of pressure seeps up to the surface. And then when it like rains and stuff, you get little pools of it that are coated in water so animals can't tell what it actually is. And then they come up to drink the water and they get stuck, and then they get half-eaten, and then lots of other animals pop into the situation, 
and then a lot of things die, and that's called an entrapment event. And our tour guide got really awkward when she was telling us all about it, too, because she was like, yeah, it's cool, but, but a lot of things die. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are the tar pits. They were super interesting. Mm-hmm. If you're in the L.A. area, you should go to the museum. Mm-hmm. They're also doing current excavations, and they, like, have things open and stuff, so it's very cool. Why are you talking about the tar pits? Thank you, Luke. Um, it doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters about it is the fact that as we were, like, going around the museum and learning about the direwolves in particular, they had a caption that said, survival of the fittest, with a question mark after it. And it set my brain on a little rabbit hole for many, many weeks. To the point where we are now here, and I've formulated some thoughts. Ooh. <laughs> um, I just kind of want to say, first off, like, I am sure many other people going through school learned that, like, the theory of evolution is this thing. And if you automatically buy into the theory of evolution, then you buy into all the concepts of, like, natural selection. Survival of the fittest is a concept of natural selection. All of that kind of stuff. It is a subsection of natural selection. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big, like, difference in what you're talking about is, like, it's just a subsection, but most people take it as... Fact. Yeah. Well, They think natural selection equals survival of the fittest when it's more, like, a branching off of it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the other thing, too, is, like, it's really important to understand that the mechanisms of the theory of evolution can be true without our interpretation of everything actually being true. Like, this was stuff put forth by Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin was a dude (laughs) in, what, 150 years ago about now? Yeah. Yeah? I want to say that. Yeah. He studied a bunch of birds and said, here's some ideas. And he... And turtles. And turtles. And he was, like, a rich guy that was British... And he had already certain misconceptions or existing biases. biases. There we go. Yeah. That brought him to put forth this theory with biases. And this is why it's important that we have diversity in STEM, people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just like, this is something going through school, I was introduced to, and it was kind of, uh, if you buy into the theory of evolution, then you buy into everything about it. And there was this question of, like, creationism versus evolution and never anything deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought it was super interesting when I was standing here seeing this question mark. I was like, shit, do I have to relearn something else now? <laughs> um, and I did. And it was an experience. Did you relearn something? Or did you just learn something? I would say relearn. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Take me there. I feel like... All of my life past high school has just been relearning things. <laughs> so <laughs> Fair. Yes. So for those of you who didn't care about high school biology, fair enough. <laughs> the theory of evolution at its most basic concept is that organisms over thousands, millions of years evolve to best live in a given environment. It has nothing more than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's also the basic theory of, like, 
we started off as single cell organisms and we got to this point where we're super, super complex over millions and millions of years instead of like, I know the primary theory on the other side is the creationist theory, which follows what the Bible says. At least that's the primary U.S. based creationism. Yeah, creationism. You're Hindu. Mm-hmm. Is there what is like the start of existence concept in Hinduism? Hin, I said that right. Yes. I don't really know per se. Like I think it's just like everything has always existed. Like we have the three main gods. One is creation, destruction, and then one is balanced sort right. of right. Mm-hmm. And like you're not really creating anything new. It's just, like, energy that exists that gets compartmentalized into new life forms. Mm-hmm. There is, like, a lot about reincarnation and how your karma ends up being what kind of creature you reincarnate to. But it, I don't know how much I believe into that stuff because it does also create a morality scale on, like, organisms. Like, oh, if you're an ant, that sucks. No, it doesn't. It just means your lifespan's a little shorter. But imagine how strong an ant is. Basically, if you correlate what we bench to what an ant does, it's not even like, like, I would love to be a frog. Like, what's wrong with being a frog? Frogs don't experience capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) Trees, same way. Like, they're like, humans are the best is like, I think a little bit of like a more recent retelling of that portion of things. But other than that, like, there's not really a creation theory there because energy has always existed. It just gets moved around. And that's probably how they explain the Big Bang, too. It's just explosion of energy. Mm-hmm. They're moved around, making new things. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. You're pretty enthusiastic? Enthusiastic. Explain it. Explain it. I was explainedly enthusiastic. As that that's me. That's my new Twitter bio. (laughs) Explainedly enthusiastic. (laughs) Continue with your story. Thank you. So yeah, theory of evolution. Mm. Base concept. We all started from single cell organisms. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um I know we kind of already talked about this. I jumbled my notes around a little bit, Mm -hmm. just speaking. Um, but Survival of the fittest, to restate, is a sub-concept of natural selection. And natural selection is a sub-concept of evolution. Although, it is technically the primary mechanism used in evolution to create better adapted to their environment. Uh, uh, okay. Things. I I don't think it necessarily means anything about being better, it just means... That's how you get to the well, current of evolution. It means you reproduce more, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Better adapted to their environment. That's not, not, not better, better. It's not necessarily better adapted to your yeah. environment, though. It just means you reproduce. you're more likely to reproduce. No, natural selection is the concept that you're... Hold on, I have the definition. I thought natural selection is just like, oh, you survived due to natural circumstances. The exact definition uh-huh. is natural selection is the process where organisms that are better adapted to their environment survive and produce more offspring. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. I would argue that did not happen for chickens. 
Well, chickens have a lot of other fuckery happening to them. That's true. Because, like, let's be honest. Are they, like, better suited to their environment? No, they're better suited to be killed. But they, well, we make well, them reproduce well, more. We interfered with... Natural selection, so it's no longer natural yeah. selection. Also, they okay. re- reproduce more. So like, they technically, are technically surviving a lot more because they keep making more. But technically, we genetically engineered without even knowing what we were doing we genetically engineered the modern chicken Mm. okay and there are if people just like go and do their own home coops and that kind of stuff you have like small farms near you they're more likely to have older heritage generations Mm. of chickens i know a lot about chickens i know because you used to work on a chicken farm i wish i knew a lot less about chickens That was the first sexy fact I ever learned about Amanda. Yes. Straight up, I told her this, and she goes, wow, that is so sexy. It was on the day we became friends. Chickens are not sexy. Chickens chickens aren't sexy. You're sexy for (laughs) working on a chicken farm. If anybody's still, like, confused about the concept of natural selection, I did write down a little mini explanation of things. Imagine there's a drought, and within one species, there's a bunch of variation over the amount of water that that species can retain. The animals that can retain more water are going to have a better chance of surviving and reproducing and continuing on the species. And since they're reproducing, that gene that allows them to retain more water is going to keep popping up in their population. I'm so sorry to all the people that aren't into this shit. Why? Everyone should be into it. It's so... You should basically understand evolutionary theory. That's pretty important. If they did not cover that in your education system, they yeah. failed you. Yeah. Um, so this is also where the concept of survival of the fittest ties in, right? Mm-hmm. Because, again, we're looking at this example where the animals that are retaining water better survive. So they are inherently, to their environment, superior and therefore more fit, right? Mm -hmm. The problem with this concept is that usually if your genetics are different, there are other things going on. So like there are characteristics for people that have blue eyes that give them their blue eyes, but also make it more likely for them to have things like degenerative eye diseases and they're more likely to need glasses from the age of six dad you blind ass bitch (laughs) i love you people that are really tall technically being tall is helpful in certain ways and being like more physically fit sometimes but also it leads you to have more uh much increased well an increased risk of heart disease and also other like joint diseases and stuff right yeah yeah. Short Kings, another one for you. Yeah. Short Kings win. But especially, like, we don't, as a population, historically, we didn't consider that sexy, mm-hmm. those poor Short Kings. Poor so short kings. we kind of bred ourselves into being taller over the years, and it's actually really bad for us. Aww. <laughs> Fun. Facts. Yay. So anyway... Survival of the fittest. It doesn't take into account linkages between various genetic traits. It doesn't. I mean, technically it does. Because if you're something that has whatever trait that is positive and it comes with something negative, then it will balance out to be 
whatever is more positive and whatever is more negative. It's okay. Let's re let's rephrase then. It doesn't take into account the environmental conditions. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because fitness at any given time is different. The other problem with the concept of survival of the fittest is that it tends to be a very individualistic mindset. It doesn't take into account an entire social unit, which is a common way of life for humans and any social animal that you can think of, you know, any primates, wolves, (laughs) which is why they were talking about it at the La Brea Tar Pits in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it ends up not working out. It doesn't, it just doesn't work if you're dealing with social animals. This is kind of where capitalism comes butts heads with the whole concept of evolution entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, Survival of the fittest, and again, let's go back to our buddy Charles Darwin, right? Mm -hmm. He came up with this during the late 1800s. The late 1800s was arguably the worst time in all of existence to be a poor person. Cut to Charles Dickens working at the shoe factory. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But, like, you have the Opium Wars happening in China. Mm -hmm. Fucking Britain owns India. The United States has the Industrial Revolution and is just, like, killing children in sweatshops. Mm. So does Britain. So does most of Europe. America's going through the Civil War at this point, too. This This is right after the Civil War. I guess, yeah. I think... Darwin was the 1880s. Oh, I we're now. That was a good time for America. Manifest Destiny. 1880s. Manifest Destiny didn't really work out for most people. In the time, it felt good. They just kind of like shipped a lot of people out to California and let them die. No, that was that was earlier in the century. Oh, that's true. Right, because 49ers. <laughs> Rough. 1880s. Um, we had the war with Mexico, right? Yeah. And 1880s is like the gilded period. It's got the robber barons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just not... You're slowly... The idea of colonialism is going away, but it's quickly being replaced with expansionism globally. So, like, everybody's getting fucked. Mm Mm-hmm. Except for the Vanderbilts, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, So... This is when Darwin is writing this, and Survival of the Fittest, that particular line, ends up being grabbed for generations of people to say, I'm here and I'm doing this because I'm better than you. For whatever reason, I was born physically, mentally better than you are. Right. His own cousin takes the concept of Survival of the Fittest and actually turns it into <laughs> what becomes the, um, oh shit, eugenics movement. Oh. Yeah. Rough. It's, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is all like, this all ends up being defense for why there shouldn't be childcare, there shouldn't be, or like, the state shouldn't pay for childcare. There shouldn't be concepts like um, other welfare programs, caring for the elderly, right? Like, this is all get your own and stay away from me. 
right if you type of mentality right like if you're not fit enough then you should die yeah but again it doesn't consider the fact that we are social beings we came out of these networks where we all took care of each other you know mm-hmm. when somebody broke their leg you took care of them until they were better yeah and you took care of your elders until they pass you know then we have fossils to prove this we maybe, do yeah or maybe fossils isn't the right word for human I'm sure there are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have, like, cave drawings and that kind of stuff that prove all of this stuff was happening. Yeah. And then, of course, fossils, back to La Brea again, that's what they saw. They saw wolves that had bones that had... Been broken and and they'd been repaired because their posse helped take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like social animals do not go by this individualistic nature. They do rely on each other for support. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, eugenics movement, bad. Also... You Nazi bitch. <laughs> you Nazi bitch. <laughs> I, I am surrounded right now by... By Nazis. Media, media filled with Nazi images. I, like, just finished re-listening to the last podcast on the left series on Joseph Mengele. Oh, okay. Which is, like, um, he's not cute. The Boys Season 2, which came out, like, two years ago. Okay. <laughs> Spoilers. Has I a suppose, Nazi bitch in it. Has a Nazi bitch. Who is a Nazi is bitch? So obviously a Nazi bitch that I looked at her uniform and said, she looks like a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, no more details. Thank you. Um so yeah, so so fun things. Eugenics movement eventually the oh, particularly you're me Joseph Mengel on the last podcast on the left. Yes. Well this all ties in because okay. the eugenics movement did actually influence a lot of what became the Holocaust. Yes. Yes. Particularly some of the framework that was started in the United States. Not cute US. Mm-hmm. US does a lot of not cute things. It's really makes me question a lot of things. We're relearning. We're relearning every day. Um That should be the tagline for this podcast. We're relearning. <laughs> We're relearning every day. And lastly, talking about the impact of this phrase. It's the reason why people today are still on a hunt for a particular thing called the gay gene. Oh, yes. Since we like to blame everything on genetics. Mm -hmm. And because gay people must be inferior to everyone else, they have to have some... Genetic abnormality, right? Sure. (laughs) No. That's just not how that works. And in 2019, um, this is the study that I was talking about, a large-scale study was conducted with, like, thousands, uh, tens of thousands of participants. Um, The study is called large-scale GWAS. I don't know what that means. G-W-A-S. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were just playing gay for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, Reveals insights into the genetic architecture of same-sex sexual behavior. This study concluded that sexual behavior is likely influenced but not dictated by a number of genes, and it still only accounts for 8 to 25% of the variation in same-sex sexual behavior. 
They ended this paper by saying that there is no meaningfully way, meaningful way to predict an individual's sexual behavior based on their genetic code. Okay. Yeah. Take that, Fox yeah. News. So, in case it isn't abundantly obvious at this point how rainbows ties in here, the rainbow flag has been adopted by the LGBTQ community to rally behind it and represent togetherness. Mm-hmm. That's right. Somehow they got to the core. Did you also Obviously read humans. some... Did what? you read that... Sorry, I interrupted you. Finish your statement. No. No? Yeah, what were you going to say? Did you, did you read when you looked at like how the history of rainbows and gay people culture history? Um, it's like it came from like... They reclaimed it from like a... Mm, I'm going to Google this real quick. I don't want to say something wrong. No. No? I just read... Oh, also, I should cite Wikipedia again, because I did read a little bit <laughs> about the rainbow flag on Wikipedia. Um, it was like, I read somewhere that they reclaimed it, so it was like initially used for something bad. I think it was related to the Nazi movement, but I'm not 100% sure now. I was like reading about it, and it wasn't relevant to my story, so I didn't write it down. Oh, that's rough. But we're staying away from Nazis and talking about the good side. Okay. Yeah. All right, continue. I mean, that's pretty much it. I just thought it was really cool reading about that. Um, how, like, the rainbow flag is supposed to represent togetherness. And the actual way that humans evolve together is in these social units together as villages and families. And it kind of, like, came back without even meaning to. I mean, it came back very much meaning to. Well, like... <laughs> We, as a society, worked very, very hard. Not us, particularly, but, like, decades and decades of activists. Okay. <laughs> what I meant was we that did, I don't yeah. think that every LGBTQ member out there is like, these are the fundamental theories of evolution. Right. Look at us getting back to our core nature. <laughs> we did self-correct in the right way. Yes. Somewhat. We might be taking a step back and then a forward and then back again. We need our strong communities. Yes. That's really, that's really it. It was a great story. Was it? I really did enjoy it. Thank you. Today, we're going to start with my sister. Because as most things <laughs> begin and end with, they end with my sister, they begin with my sister, and my sister's the middle. Because my sister's the best thing ever. So she's a rainbow. Damn. Yes. Ah, uh, <laughs> we found it. She's a concentric thing with colors of the spectrum. <laughs> I believe that you just called your sister fat. <laughs> That's not what concentric means, but... <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes, Luke. Concentric does not mean that. I don't know math. So, my sister. So, your sister. As we all know, too smart for her own good. So smart. I honestly don't know her that well. She seemed pretty smart. Disagree with me. Okay. Only disagree with me when I say negative things. Always agree with me when you say positive things. Okay. Divya, I find it really offensive that you consider your sister to be a bunch of circles. <laughs> That's also not what concentric means. All, a of circles that all have their center points as the same point. Oh my god. I don't know math. She has a center I am an engineer. That's literally in SolidWorks. That's one of the mates in SolidWorks. <laughs> 
I use it all the time. Oh my god. <laughs> this woman. Um, yeah. So my sister, very smart. At the same age that I was when I was her age. Does that make sense? At the same age that when I was when age. I was her... Wait. Just <laughs> say when you were she her She is... Age. How old is she? She is 17. Okay. That helps you? Yes. Is that stupid? Well... At the same age that I was when I was her age. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I know what you're saying, but it's so fun to watch her be confused. Are you, like, comparing... Okay, so... What you guys were able when, to do with If the- you took, like, if you synced the audio files of our lives... <laughs> yes, okay, just- yes, you were comparing yourself directly against your sister. This is unhealthy. <laughs> but no, in every single way and manner, she's smarter than me. And, like, when I was in middle school, I was watching Vampire Diaries. And my okay. sister was reading Shakespeare and Hemingway... And then we grew up, and she got into a lot of heady critical theory, and I continued to watch Vampire Diaries. <laughs> but you're a nerd. You're 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 a math nerd. I I don't know if I would have called myself that in high school. I you just like mainly like data. floated by. Yeah, but that's now. Now I'm like actively trying to be smarter so I can keep up with everyone around me. Uh, can okay. I just say something right here? Mm. I think that you probably were getting more out of Vampire Diaries than Shakespeare and Hemingway novels. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Honestly, how many plots of Vampire Diaries are just rip-offs of Shakespeare? But better. But better. Because there's vampires. Yeah. Huh. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. Mwa. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. I love them. I love Episode vampires. two? Yeah, Vampires was episode two. <laughs> Shout out... My day one, my day one (laughs) vampire. One person that I kind of like constantly hear from my sister recently and like in past years has been someone named Susan Sontag. Um, I told Amanda, I was like, I'm going to start with Susan Sontag. And she was like, who? And I was like, I'm glad I'm friends with the right people for my intelligence. So I would not have known about her at all if I did not have my sister. So I like Spongebob. I also like Spongebob. Imagination. Imagination. Wow, maybe I should have done it on Spongebob. I also like South Park. They have an imagination song. I don't know why I end up giving so many auto... Not autobiographies, regular biographies. What? She's raised... No, hello! (laughs) (laughs) I have a question. Did you like that I raised my hand? That wasn't the question. That's my favorite. We can't repeat bits. Except for Greg and Janine. No! My brother loves South Park. He doesn't... No, okay, there's a point a here. There's a point here. <laughs> they also see how this relates to my story. I don't think I don't think what you consume necessarily has to do with your level of intelligence. That's more my point. Yes, but if you consume more intelligent things, it does help you make... make that does help you make smart. <laughs> it does help you make smart. Well, my brother is a surgeon, and he loves South Park. I'm not saying you can't love stupid things. I'm saying loving intelligent things makes you reach for more intelligent things. I'm I, saying that if you're in the New York I don't know area and you injure yourself and you hear the name Chris Larson, MD, run. Run! <laughs> I think that that's a good way of learning. Yeah. But that's also not necessarily true as far as, like, 
I think people who might consume the highest level of literature and stuff can, may not also be... Oh, correct. It is not a one-to-one correlation. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. if you do it, you can be, and it is probably more likely. But you can also consume other things and still be very smart. It's just... What if it's a bell curve? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I like that because that implies people who have read everything and bear, are like read very intelligent things are very stupid. That's I feel that every day. Well, no, it just means that there are some people, but it's the very small percentage. Yeah, because that's yes. how a normal curve works. Susan Sontag, um, born nineteen thirty three, she graduated high school at fifteen, got her bachelor's degree at eighteen, and then did her graduate work at Harvard. My grandma also graduated high school at 15. Wow. Which grandma? The... My mom's. Mm. What'd she do with her life? <laughs> Let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, so I read a couple of, like, different essays about people who talked about, like, Susan Sontag's influence on them and, like, kind of, like, her general perception around the time that she was active, right? I think about it. She's, like, got relatively pretty famous around 50s, 60s, 70s, mainly the 60s for her period. Um, she's kind of like, she was like kind of like a mythical figure. Like someone who was like very in at the time and very culturally important. Um, I Things to know about her, she's gay and Jewish, if we're going to put identity politics out there, okay? Uh, she would have Wait, not liked that. Is she from New York? I didn't write down where she was born. Damn I know she moved around a lot, so she, like, moved to California for a bit, which I remembered, but I don't know what else she did. All right, all right. Um, I think the best way to describe her is she's just kind of, like, a a kind of, like, contradiction of a type. She's very heady. She's very intelligent. She is incredibly wordy. She is someone who wrote a lot about culture and, um how we perceive aesthetics and movements. Um, her most notable and controversial work is what we're gonna talk about, which is Notes on Camp. But some things that I wanted to like, pick out as her contradictions, right? She's someone who's very famous, a very well-known writer, made a lot of money off her books. Uh, so some, Maybe not well-known anymore. I mean, she's well known in the circles that she's known for, right? Which is cultural philosophy. That's just not what we tend to read. <laughs> no. so, but like, that's what I mean. Like, oh, like there's big names in paleobotany, but we're not gonna know them. But they're still really important, right, to that field. Yeah. Same thing here. Um, so like, someone described her as someone like she was like used to get telegrams all the time. About, like, hey, like, please let me have an interview with you. Like, I'd love to like, hear what you think about these things. And she's like, I'm not going to, like, prostitute myself out So for other people. But <laughs> someone, okay. someone described this as reaping the establishment's reward with the right hand and damning the establishment's rewards with the left hand. Yeah. Um, which I think it's, it's very true. It also is kind of what most people our age do, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, but that's one contradiction. Um, please follow us on Instagram, on our podcast. Give us five stars if you like what you hear. <laughs> we have a TikTok now, too. Yep. It's all how did we get here underscore confusion. Okay. Done selling. All right. 
Uh, she was gay, but she kind of used to hedge around it. She never really, like, oh, confirmed, I'm gay and I'm proud about it. Like, I'm out and proud, you know? It's the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. I wouldn't fucking either. Um, she especially never confirmed her sexuality during the AIDS crisis, which is someone mm. who's, a, like, well, relatively well-known during that time. People were pretty, like, upset that she didn't do that, especially when someone coming out like that during that time would have been pretty influential. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she had a very public affair with Annie Leibovitz, who mm-hmm. is a photographer, oh. very famous photographer. Sounds familiar. Um, actually, after Susan Sontag died, Annie Leibovitz dropped a photo collection, which was, she died of cancer, and it was, like, her body ravaged by cancer. It was, like, the, that was the photo collection. They were very weirdly intimate dating and then not dating and then dating and then not dating. Lesbians. Got it. Yep. Um, And then, obviously, as I said, she makes a living off of cultural critique and philosophy and then wrote a book on why interpretation... uh, I'm going to quote this. Ready? Interpretation is the revenge of intellect upon art. Even more, it is the revenge of intellect upon the world. To interpret is to impoverish, to deplete the world, in order to set up a shadow world of meanings. It is to turn this world into that world. So basically, she says, interpretation sucks, and then does it for a living. Yeah, that's kind of crack-heady. Well, I I do agree with the point that she's making, right? Which is that sometimes when you, like, overanalyze something, you're like, you've brought too many facts into it, which was once, like, a, just a feeling that you felt, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think there's always, like, I'm on Aristotle's side here, which is the golden mean of things. Yeah. I do think that she was overly harsh. That's a little strong. That's strong. Yeah. But, I mean... I mean, I get where she's coming from. I appreciate it for what it is. And then she's also... She just kind of has a fan base, from what I've read about people reading her, of people who read and read and analyze and analyze, and are very heady people. Like, Mm -hmm. they're always in their head creating and thinking about cultural constructs. Like your sister. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and this is why I tell my sister, like, she's like, I just don't know. Like, I don't think that anyone thinks like I do. And, I mean, I mu- it must be tough for her to have me as a sister when I'm just like, ha, vampire is sexy. Um, Divya, you think more than most people. The bar is, like, so high with my sister, though. Um, <laughs> but... You think so much. <laughs> like, like, I must be a barely breathing person <laughs> in comparison. Um, but, like, I always tell her, like, oh, she's like, I'm so alone. I'm like, Susan Sontag was a real person who existed. She writes the stuff that you read and you're like, this is amazing. There are people who enjoy her works and think like her, too. You'll find them. You're just not going to find them in our small-ass town, you know? No, she's different. She's a four. She's a four? She's a four. What is a she's four? She's type four. Oh, the Enneagram <laughs> quiz? I got that. Has anyone that taken that quiz? Don't take it. It ruins your mental health. I'm different. Yeah. I'm not yeah. like other girls. <laughs> Shreya hates it when I say that. <laughs> Shreya, if you ever happened upon this podcast episode, that's not the joke I made. I'm telling everyone that you're very smart. It's exactly. One can be many things. I love you, Shreya. I'm different. You were yeah. the sunshine yeah. of my life, Shreya. Okay. All right. So we're, let's get to her most controversial work, Notes on Camp. Okay? I decided to talk about camp because recently... <laughs> 
Only Divya really knows this, but I've been walking around and calling everything camp for oh God, God knows what reason. Hilly O'Connell does this too. <laughs> it's camp. <laughs> it's giving camp. When I showed her our um, podcast cover for the first time, she just goes, oh, it's so campy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's something I've been doing. And then I realized, hey, I don't think I really know what this word means anymore. <laughs> you know, like when you like, you first introduce a word into your vocabulary and it's like the definition is very strong because mm-hmm. you just learned it. And then it integrates itself into your vocabulary and then eventually just means nothing at the end. Sure. It's like a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> what is a vibe anymore? Everything. Yeah. Everything is Everything a vibe. Yeah. You know what really helped me that one time where you were like, I was like, what did we say before vibe? And mood. you were like, you say mood. And that just like, it, it soothed me. Because that was a question I had for so long. Mood. 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 Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what camp is. Okay. Camp is a certain mode of aestheticism, mm-hmm. right? Um, it really is, like, con- it, the basics of it is artifice and unnaturalness. It's the love of the exaggerated, of things being what they are not. I'm, I'm so heavily <laughs> borrowing from Sontag. I'm telling you, this woman has, I had to Google so many words while reading her essay. It was insane. I just, I want you to know that I can barely read. My vocabulary level is so probably I, akin to that of, like, a fifth grader, at best. Please explain this like you would to a ten-year-old child. Okay. <laughs> All right. You. I'm stepping up to the challenge. Okay, so it's unnatural, right? Miss Divya? Mm-hmm. What is camp? <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, it's like the whatever seems unnatural... Whatever seems artificial, right? They want to exaggerate things more than they are until the point that they're not what they initially represented. A good way to think about this, and I will... Oh, Baudrillard applies to everything. Baudrillard applies to everything. It's like the second step of the simulation simulacra stuff. It's like, at one point, something's a symbol for something, Mm -hmm. but it no longer means what what it originally came from. This is actually our podcast cover. Yeah. We did a great job. Uh (laughs) It's like, it's become so many steps far removed that it no longer represents what it initially came to represent. Sure. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, So, to perceive camp in objects, and she says you can experience camp in anything, okay? Movies, books, furniture, people, Okay. Concepts, wow. okay? That chair, so camp. It, that is a real thing. If you see a chair and it feels camp, it, it, it's giving you... <laughs> I will give you some examples, okay? It has one leg. It is in the back bay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This is a real chair we've seen. It was just floating in the back bay. <laughs> It's good because it's awful. <laughs> so, like, a great example of something we always talk about, good, bad movies. Right? Oh, my God. Good, bad movies are camp. Yes. But 
it's because like they always say pure camp is always naive, which means like if you're trying to be camp, you're not camp. Mm-hmm. Right? Like good bad movies are they're not like they're not like trying to be bad. They're just trying for something and then it ends up being a good bad movie. Like yeah. if it was a, like really trying to be a bad movie, then it wouldn't be camp. I thought I always thought like the difference between good bad and camp movies mm-hmm. was usually camp movies were in a sense trying to be what they are cuz they would lean into they aren't actually great movies on purpose and when you would go to other things i would never say the room is camp well hold on but there's so there's something about our evolution of the use of the word camp versus what it was intentionally meant to mean yeah i I would say based on divya's definition let me give you my last point on camp all right yes camp is gonna like it really comes out of this love that has gone into creating certain objects and creating personal styles right it's like our love for this art being there for the sake of art. It's out of the purpose of utilitarian mm-hmm. nism, nisms, <laughs> the nisms, the nisms. <laughs> we have the tisms and the nisms. <laughs> um, so, like, let me give you some examples here, okay? Um, so, when you see it on people, like, what's camp versus not camp? Mm-hmm. Um, it's generally androgynous values. So, like. Feminine things on men who look very masculine, and then masculine things that are on women who present very feminine. Okay, on the opposite side, it could be um, exaggeration of sexual characteristics. So someone who's hyper feminine and someone who's hyper masculine. And a great way to look at this is the drag queen movement. Okay, right? They are they have created this like hyper version of a woman that it's so much so that it no longer represents an actual woman camp drag queens are always camp they're yeah so this is where she kind of gets into like the relationship between camp and homosexuality okay first off i love susan sontag this woman is both gay and jewish and you know what she says in this essay she goes you know who are the people who push culture forward the gays and the Jewish people. <laughs> I'm obsessed with her, but that does seem biased. She just says, look at me. Here I go. Pushing. We're going. We're mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah. So this woman has to be. Alright, this is this is an outdated term. And it uh, Do you wanna say it? Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> you can tell me after. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so she says, homosexuals constitute the vanguard and most articulate audience of camp. I'm quoting her. Mm-hmm. And, like, I read a lot of different, like, pe- different people's takes, more modern people's takes, not people who were born in 1933. And I think everyone agrees that, like, the gays really are the... They're the people who consistently push the camp movement along, mm-hmm. okay? There are a lot of arguments around the origins of the camp movement. A lot of people say it's part of black culture that the gays then took on, and then they've been pioneering it forward, and then a lot of people argue, no, it's a purely gay thing. But essentially, the aesthetics of gay people have been so intertwined with camp now, and there is some differentiation around, like, not all things that are queer are camp, but all of campness is rooted in queerness. Okay. 
And it's like inherent outsider status, right? Sure. So we'll come back to this. Let me give you some examples of camp. Uh, hold on. It makes sense, right? Like you're already an outsider. So you might as well exaggerate who you are for the sake of being who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um, so some examples of things that are camp. And I pulled this from Rainbow Rant, Notes on Notes on Camp by Joy Ellison. <laughs> okay. Um, Lil Nas X, camp. Of course. Yeah. But I'm a Cheerleader, the lesbian conversion camp movie. No idea. Okay, so you should watch this movie. You would like it. It's the same. Natasha Lyonne's in it. No idea. What were you? Orange is the New Black. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's camp. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dolly Parton, Lizzo, camp. Camp icons canonized by the community. That's what Mm -hmm. she said. The original version of John Waters' musical Hairspray. Camp. <laughs> the 2007 remake with its earnest white saviorism. Not no. camp. The Matrix Res- Resurrections. Camp in intention, though less so in style. Okay? Okay. I've never seen this. I, do, I don't know. I, yeah. would, I thought I'd throw it out there in case someone's seen Matrix. And then, this is my favorite one. Bernie Sanders. Camp. Especially in his mittens and his mask. Pete mm. Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg is not and never will be camp. Man sucks. Yeah. Straight up. Bad representation of the gay community. Mm-hmm. Not camp. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are some examples. Um, and this is where we kind of get into the mainstreaming of queer culture and what has also... A symptom of that is mainstreaming of camp as well. So you might know, like, the 2019 Met Gala theme was camp. And what? Yeah. That was a... I don't even know how you make it a... Th- the point is to not be intentional, so you can't make it a thing. That's some white people shit. Yeah. Yep. Correct. That's some straight people shit. No, yeah. Now that I'm hearing this. <laughs> yeah, it is some straight people shit. Um, I mean, a lot of queer people were pretty upset with the execution of what people did with camp. And there were so few people who really got what it meant. Um, Ezra Miller was one of them. I really liked what he did with his costume. He was the one who had all the different eyes, if you've seen that one. Mm-mm-mm. And then... I did not know that this was a theme until you told me. Okay, so, so I any- will avoid this part of the discussion. <laughs> I love oh analyzing Met Gala things. Though. Counter discussion. Mm. The Met Gala sucks. Yes. Great. Yep. But do I every year watch the people's outfits and what people think of them? Yes. I very much like judging people. And that's where I let my judgmental parts come out. I mostly looked to see who actually went. And when I heard that AOC went, I was like, you are fake. You are a fake girly. AOC is a fake girly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm over her shtick. So, like, the mainstreaming of queer culture makes camp harder to find. And I think because of that, camp is getting diluted in what it means now. Um, some examples of this is the straight girlies. The straight girlies, <laughs> they're, they're really ruining things for queer people. <laughs> they now go around saying, yes, queen, and, like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I saw a TikTok the other day that was a girl and two guys at a gay bar, and 
they started kissing the two guys and the girls literally standing there clapping for them. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? First of all, who are you? Why do you feel comfortable clapping in the middle of this club like a weirdo while these two people are having an intimate moment? Yeah. Go away. Okay. Yeah, it, it really is a lot of like showmanship and it's like the capitalization of queerness really i another great one is ugh, I, I keep mentioning the boys but um one of the characters comes oh. out as gay in the second season oh yeah and they make a whole big deal out of like dropping so many things mm-hmm. made mm-hmm. rainbow bars like pride bars pride bars <laughs> yeah um you can't be proud if you're hungry <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, just so many little things like that. I think a a big part of that, and as this is kind of how we come to rainbows, right? Is that like rainbows are something that when it was first created as a symbol for the queer community, I think to me and other people might have a different take on this. To me, it feels very camp. Um, it's something that was like, yeah, like rainbows are very natural, but taking them and pasting them on clothing with all the different dyes is very unnatural. It's very artificial. It's an exaggeration in the way we use it. Like it's just like head to toe, rainbow colored hair, you know, like it is very camp. Right. Like the way we use it is very camp. Yeah. But now the capitalization and the incorporation of queerness as like, like, the identity politics of being queer nowadays just feels so loaded. Yeah. And also, like, we're mining it constantly for material and money, basically. Mm, all of these huge companies with their pride season fashion mm-hmm. and their pride support. and It's all bullshit. And the number one symbol for that has been rainbows. Yeah. 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 So I think like the rainbows is a great example of where the camp movement has started and ended. And I think if Susan Sontag were alive right now, I think she would hate what's been done with identity politics. Like, it's so much of like that's the one and only thing you need to know about me. That's a big part of who I am. Like, I absolutely think that it is, but it's not the only thing about people. And I think our need to reduce people to bite-sized chunks mm-hmm. is like interpretations. Like, what she says about interpretation. We've over-interpreted it so much and analyzed it that we've lost kind of the beauty of just being ourselves and now have just created a bunch of different boxes to put ourselves in. Yeah. So that's another take on... I, I feel like I came up with the opposite of what you were saying in yours, right? Which is that we've managed to come back to a point where society is more accepting of people. To be fair, what I was referencing more in mine was more of this origin story for it, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like where the movement started, how they ended up rallying behind this flag. And like, yes, I'm, I'm with you where like it probably was originally kind of a camp idea. It was an exaggerative. It was a way of saying, hey, I'm here. You can't push me down anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? And they were able to develop a whole community that was able to say, hey, I'm here. You can't push me down anymore. And that's great. And that's what they needed. And that's how they got a lot of attention and how they got to the point where they can get married now. Mm-hmm. And that never would have happened if people didn't step up in the first place and form a community, right? Mm-hmm. But like... You're right. Now it's cool, almost. Like, gay culture has been taken and made into... It's, it's always the same thing. I mean, like, I'm sure, like, 
every black person who has been through it. It's like you strip it from its origin and you take it and you place it on a white person who has privilege and then it's suddenly cool. Yeah. Right? It's like it's like white girls saying yes, queen. Like like a, a gay man walking around saying that is liable to be hate crime, do you know? And a girl says it and now it's fun and quirky and trendy. Like there are some problems with how we approach these things in our societies and the cultural cycles we create is a big part of that. And I thought camp was a good example of that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. So that was my story. I didn't jump around a lot this episode, but I did think it was an interesting enough topic that we could keep discussing it. I yeah. didn't know anything about camp, so yeah. honestly, it's just a word that's been thrown around for a really long time around me, and I've just started to be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it just has so many different things it can describe, though, so it just is a part of a different, lot of different conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that makes a lot of sense the way you described it. And I've I have had a lot of thoughts going through my head of like, um, have you seen pictures of like the eighties rallies, pride rallies and stuff where people are wearing like BDSM gear mm-hmm. and they're also wearing their flags and like they're wearing crazy colors and there's lots of like colored fishnet stockings and you know they're doing it in order to be a juxtaposition to the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, I love that. That makes totally complete sense. It is camp, right? Yeah. It's expression but, of the outsider status. Yeah. But it's also expression for expression's sake. Yeah. There's not, like, a real practical purpose to wearing nine-inch heels in the street. Like, that's why, no. people, that's why everybody loves Lady Gaga. Yeah. It's, like, it's such a, it's an art form that you can tell she just takes pride in the art and lets it live and breathe on its own. And I think that's... I think the beauty of a a movement like camp, right? Yeah. Yeah. But now, the second that Old Navy is releasing a pride line, Mm -hmm. things have gone too far. Yeah. (laughs) Old Navy. Stop. I agree. Or companies that go, oh man, we support you fully, and then don't give you time off for the important holidays. Related to big historical events. I'm not, I'm not feeling anything right now. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Juneteenth? Apparently it's not important anymore. Apparently. Yeah. I agree. Capitalism kind of ruins most things. Honestly, I, I, <laughs> no, I, capitalism, capitalism ruins most things. <laughs> Take that from this. <laughs> I really, like, I spend a lot of time thinking about, like, is it really capitalism or is it that people misuse the system? But I do think it is the system because the system gives advantage to the upper 1%. Yeah, I think think capitalism has been the most successful economic system to date, but is also, it's successful because it's built off of the backs of the people. Mm-hmm. And it requires there to be insiders and outsiders and poor people that are stepped on constantly. Yeah. Isn't it great? Survival of the fittest. I mean, it really just comes to stop letting the market have its invisible hand or whatever. I do like, I do believe that we need a, lot, a little bit, a little bit more, a lot more government intervention. Me too. Yeah. 
I think, I think, well, I think government's scary because when it takes over in social aspects, then it can be really bad. But if we let government in to take care of economic aspects, it's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that we just, like, if we put, like, the climate change bill that we recently passed was a really great thing that we did, you know? Which one? I don't remember. I don't know the name of it. The New York okay. Times dropped in and was like, Oh, this was, like, last year, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was, like, a like you could see, like, real clear-cut things we're doing mm-hmm. and steps we're taking. And, yeah, it is, it's hurting businesses in the short term, but long term, it all plans on benefiting businesses. It's really, it's really not hurting businesses, honestly. It's much lighter than I ever hoped it would be. Yeah, and you but... can see that the electric car companies and all the car companies got their grubby little hands into the middle of it because what is half of the bill for? Updating infrastructure, infrastructure. for automotives and increasing the number of electric chargers because everybody can afford a fucking electric car. I mean, the hope, the goal is that Toyota and Honda and the... All the middle class companies end up coming out with that kind of stuff. You still gotta be middle class. That's true. That's true. Oh, the rage I feel on a daily basis. Yeah. As a person who will end my life rich, I feel so much. (laughs) But again, I do think that discussing these ideas and throwing them out in the open and then putting them on a podcast for other people to listen, it does make a difference having these discussions eventually butterfly effects domino effects how we handle things that's right yeah so tell your friends follow us five stars follow our instagram (laughs) tell us you like the podcast so we can set up a patreon (laughs) where you give us money (laughs) oh my god how capitalists how are we different than susan sontag what is the quote Hold on. Reaping the establishment's reward with the right hand and damning it with the left. That's us. That should be the tagline for the podcast. Little capitalist girlies. We're just trying to pay off our student loans. Well, you're just trying to pay off your car. Correct. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And that's how we got here. So remember to ask yourselves. Oh shit! <laughs> you don't want to know what happens next. Do I do. Us. I do. I want to know. Next topic is supposed to be houseplant. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. It's supposed to be houseplant, but that, that, that's, that's it. it. Oh, it's supposed to be houseplant. I didn't have. So, so join us house for houseplants plant. next episode. Yes. And think <laughs> to yourself, why am I listening to these girls? Yeah. How did you get here? Really, if you, how did you get here? How is our podcast page <laughs> being promoted? Someone told me. <laughs> um, love you guys. 